The story of Secretariat is the story of a horse and the people around him who were able to do things that no one thought was possible. It takes a lot out of a horse to run in one of the Triple Crown races. Three races, three states, in just five weeks. Hasn't been done in 25 years. Secretariat is moving like a tremendous machine! This is unbelievable! No horse can take this pace! He was like Michael Jordan of all race horses. ESPN did the 100 greatest athletes. And Secretary was ahead of Mickey Mantle. That's how unbelievable his presence was. Entering the final turn, Secretary surging past Angolite. It was as if God whispered in his ear, go, and he went. Secretariat did something that no one thought was even conceivable. So what this story gives us is a sense that there are capabilities in each of us that are beyond what we think we can have. And that life is about finding how far you can go, how fast you can run, and you never know until you try, until you run. Victory's not whether we hold the gold cup. Hey, there's mom! The victory is whether we gave our hearts to it. Good morning, church. Hi, I'm Pastor Ashley. I'm at our Ankeny campus, and I love worshiping with you. Welcome to those of you joining us, uh, worshiping with us online and at our campuses. It is so great to be the church with all of you. I'm glad to be here this morning. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, what you just saw is um, the promotion for the 2010 Disney movie Secretariat. And as you heard in our Bible reading this morning, Paul is talking about running a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And that racehorse broke history, like set records. It was incredible to watch Secretariat run. And I loved hearing the director talk about maybe some deeper things that this movie points out. He says there are capabilities in all of us that we don't even know we have until we run. You never know how far and how fast until you try. And at the very end, he says, it's not about holding the golden cup. It's about the heart behind it. It's about why we did the things we did, why we ran the race that we ran. And that's really what Paul's message to the Corinthian church is. He's telling them to run a race, not like a worldly race, not the way that the world thinks that they should do it, or with worldly wisdom. He's calling them to run with a very different heart and to do it in a way that is not of the world. If you have been following along with us in our whole Holy Bible in a year readings, we're about halfway through uh, 1 Corinthians, and Paul has been calling this church to unity. He wants them to be united for the sake of Jesus Christ. Paul preaches Christ crucified because there is nothing better than Jesus who has defeated death and resurrected for all of these people. So I'm not going to spend too much time on unity because we've preached about that for like the last six weeks here at Hope. It's a big deal. Don't miss that point. But the church, if you've been reading, they actually have a problem with Paul. They don't think that Paul has the right to be an apostle. So their issue is actually with him. And so Paul spends a good amount of time defending his right to be an apostle. He tells them, you're trying to understand this with worldly wisdom, and you just can't. This is godly wisdom. You're not going to get it with worldly wisdom. He says, you try to follow Peter or Apollos or whoever, but there's something so much greater, church. He says, it's Jesus. And so Paul, he was brilliant at what he did. 
he started talking at their level. So he uses this athlete metaphor that we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 9. Corinth would have understood athletes. Uh, The Olympic Games were big in this day. The Olympics have been around a long time. And second to the Olympic Games were the Isthmian Games, and they were held in Corinth. So the people who would have read this letter, heard it read to them, absolutely knew what a race was like, what competition was like, what training was like. They were around athletes and watched it just as the world watches the Olympics in our day. The world was watching the games of Paul's day. And so Paul communicates to them with worldly wisdom about a race. He says, uh, you heard this in our Bible reading, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person is getting a prize. So run to win. And it leads to the question, well, if we're all running a race, does that mean only one of us is going to win? Because that's a little disheartening. No. I want to conceptualize the race for us this morning. There's two races I think that Paul is talking about. One of them is our life race. We are all running a race that begins when we are born and ends when we leave this worldly place with our earthly death. And that race is very important. We all have different seasons of that race, seasons of life, seasons of faith. There are times when our races intersect with each other and sometimes we're just running around no direction because life. There are seasons of our races that are marathons and there are seasons of our life races that are sprints. Marathons can be really good. I have never run a marathon in my life nor do I ever desire to run a marathon in my life. I am not a competitive runner. Uh, I have run for fun uh, but not competitively. My mom ran marathons when I was growing up so I watched her train diligently. She's run a whole bunch of them. That is for special people but there are certainly instances in our life race where it's kind of like a marathon. It requires endurance and training and stamina and consistently putting one foot in front of another. Some of those things are really good, like marriage. That's, that requires endurance. You're in that for the long haul. Parenting. There's no guidebook on parenting. Trust me, I've tried to read some of them. Every kid is different. This is a marathon, parenting. These are good, good things. There are also marathons like grief dealing with the death of people that we love. That doesn't just go away. Dealing with our past or trauma, man, is that a marathon, working through all the kinks that life has thrown our way. There are also seasons of our life races where we sprint. We do everything we can to just get to the next season because we know it's coming. Maybe school is like that for some people. When I started seminary, I wanted to be done with seminary. I love learning, I enjoyed it all as a sponge, but I knew there was something on the other side of that that I wanted to step into. So it was like, I'm gonna sprint, I'm gonna get it done. We pedaled to the metal for some of these things. Work, getting through a work day, like on a Monday, that might be a sprint. You know the end is coming, but man, are we tired on Mondays sometimes. Sometimes sprints can be hard too. My family has been running a cancer marathon. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer just over two years ago. And that whole journey is certainly a marathon, not a fun one. But there were sprints along the way, mom's chemo journey, just get through chemo, get through surgery and recovery, get through radiation, get through immunotherapy. And now we still run the race of praying for miracles. She's almost two years cancer-free. 
And so we praise God for those miracles. Yeah, you can praise God for those miracles. Church, you've prayed for those miracles. Thank you for those prayers. We keep praying for those miracles. Cancer's nasty. Sometimes it comes back. I know that all of you have experience with this. There are people you know and love who deal with this. And these are the hard parts of our races. Marathons and sprints, good times and bad times. So we all have life races. There's also a bigger race that I think Paul wants us to know about. There's a bigger race that Paul is calling the church to. And he doesn't want you to miss being part of something greater. Because there are times when we cannot run our race on our own. There are times when it's all just too much and we need other people to lift us up and carry us when we can no longer carry ourselves. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Paul is pretty absolute about this. I do everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its, in its blessings. He's not kind of running this race. He's absolutely all in running this race so that some might be saved, so that some get to know the good news of Jesus Christ, to share in its blessings. This is the bigger race, church. This is the bigger race that we step into together, that we lock arms with with one another, and we step forward consistently because it's our call and because we want everyone to know the good news, the blessings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do it together. Don't miss the bigger race. It's easy to run your own race, and when you're down, just think the world's abandoned you and and you can't get back up, and that's just where you're going to have to stay. That's a lie, because you're part of a bigger race. This body, one church united as Christ, this body of believers, we run the race together so that no one gets left behind. So that no one get, doesn't, so that there's no one who doesn't get the victory that Jesus has already won for you. I'm going to start with the last thing first. This race has been won. You don't earn this victory. You don't have to be the best, the fastest, the smartest, the best prayer. This race is already won. Step into it. Run it as a team. Do it together. Because there are moments when we just can't. In the last 10 or so days, I have sat face to face with multiple people facing cancer battles. Multiple people who've told me about domestic violence in their families. A couple people who have lost babies. This is just in the last 10 days, church. Life is hard. How are you supposed to keep running when that's the reality? You can't. We have to do it as a team. We have to run this together. We have to be there for each other, lock arms, and run the race as one, one body. And we run it knowing that the victory's been won. So when I don't see that victory because of life circumstances, you can remind me of it. And vice versa, when you don't see the victory because of life circumstances, I can remind you of it. I don't know if any of you saw in the news in the last week or so, there was a Belgian shot putter who ended up running a race for her team that was not at all her race. Go ahead and take a look at this. 
Yolene Bumquo's beaming smile and joyful dance moves showed no sign of nerves. I was just so excited because I saw my coach. He was really, he was really smiling as well. One woman that's really going the extra mile to help her team. The 100-meter hurdles are far from the 29-year-old's specialty. When I was younger, it was never my favorite event because it was a bit scary for me. Boomquo is the Belgian national champion in hammer throw and shot put, an event she finished seventh in at the European Team Championships in Poland. Jodie Maliga Boomquo of Belgium there in lane two. She, she found herself carefully clearing hurdles in a race she stood no chance of winning, all to honor her country. Okay, that's fine. I will just take one for the team. That was my thought. Injuries sidelined the two Belgian hurdlers, so instead of watching her team face disqualification, Boomquo stepped up. It was just uh, like you only live once, just do it. She won two points for Belgium and the hearts of thousands on social media. Isn't that great? Yeah, we can clap. Oh, I just love it. Did you see the other teams high-five her at the end? I mean, everybody was cheering. This is not her race. Do you think when Yolene Bumquo was asked, hey, we need someone to run the hurdles just so that we're not disqualified, can you just do it? Do you think she thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to look like a goof next to those 100-meter hurdlers? I have not trained for this. No way. What if I get hurt? in this race that I can't do my own race. She might have fleetingly had thoughts like that, but it sure seemed like she ran that race with joy and excitement and was glad to step in for her team when they couldn't run it. Church, what's keeping you out of the race? There's a lot of lies that go through our mind that tell us, I don't look the same as everybody else. I'm not going to fit in to that race. I'm not quite as smart as everybody else on that team. I, I don't pray. I'm not a good prayer. I don't have the words. They don't want me on their team. I stopped reading my Bible back in like Leviticus. I'm really far behind. They don't want me. I'm no good. I'm not qualified for that. What are the lies that's keeping you out of this big race? They're not good enough. Those lies don't own you. And wouldn't the devil love for all of us to stop running a race that's going to bring glory to God? Because we don't think we can do it. We don't think we have what it takes. Reminder, the race is already won. This race is won. There is nothing that disqualifies you from this race. Nothing disqualifies you from this race. Every single one of you has a place here. Every single one of you has a very important role to play in this race. Nothing can disqualify you from this race because Jesus already won it. Jesus already won it. So step into it. Don't miss this race. I promise you don't want to be the person on the sidelines when Jesus comes back. Don't miss this race. It's already been won for you. You do not need to earn this victory. I'm going to be really clear about that. That's bad theology. You don't earn this victory. If anybody tries to tell you otherwise, they're lying. You have won this race because Jesus won it for you. Step into that victory, church. Own it. Nothing disqualifies you. And you say, great, Ashley. But what if 
Life has got me down. What if I don't know how to put one foot in front of another? I can't get out of bed. Maybe I'm part of a community, great, but I don't know how to run. I can't do it. Well, all great things in faith are a paradox. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. That doesn't really make sense. We believe in one God in three unique persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That doesn't really make sense. When we can't run anymore, when life is too hard and putting one foot in front of another just isn't an option, do you know how you win this race? How you step into it? How you own it? We give it up. We surrender this race to God. And that doesn't really make worldly sense, does it? Supposed to run to win, but I'm supposed to surrender? Yep. Paul says, run to win, and Jesus says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. How do we reconcile those things? They're the same thing. It's surrender. Because when we, when we run to win, a huge part of that is running in surrender. Paul will go on to write in 2 Corinthians, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Part of running our race is in totally giving it to God because we already know that he's won the victory for us. As I was watching video clips of people running races, isn't it really fun to watch people who are excellent at what they do, do what they do best? If you have a favorite musician or a performance that you've seen on Broadway, like watching people do what they do best is so so fun to watch. So of course I was watching Usain Bolt run races, and in the 2012 London Olympics, Usain Bolt runs the individual 100 meter uh, race, the sprint, and he shatters the world record in that, fastest man in the world, and then a couple hours later, he runs for Team Jamaica, he anchors the 4 by 100 meter relay race. And Jamaica's biggest component in the 2012 Olympics was Team USA. And so they're all lining up on the track, and Team USA is lined up next to Team Jamaica. And the commentators say, oh, and there's Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, lined up next to Team USA. Really intimidating to stand next to the fastest man in the world. And the other commentator says, that would certainly intimidate me. And then they take off. And Jamaica's behind when that final handoff happens, but Usain Bolt is the anchor. And he makes up that time, and both Jamaica and USA shatter world records. Jamaica wins, but they both run extremely amazing races. And all I could think as I watched this, you can go home and, and YouTube it. My dad was here last night, and he's like, I can't believe you didn't show us the race. Go home and watch it. <laughs> all I could think when I watched this race, I saw Jesus and all of the worldly stuff, death, disease, and illness, our past, our present struggles, all of them, they're lined up next to God. They're not going to win. They can't win this race. Jesus has already anchored the last leg of your race. Nothing stacks up to him. Man, if I was death, would I be intimidated? Man, if I was cancer, would I be intimidated? One of my mom's favorite things to say to us during her cancer journey. And at the time, I was like, okay, mom. <laughs> she would say to us, I already know who has the victory here. My cancer doesn't win. She always told us that. My cancer doesn't win. And she meant it. 
Nothing competes with God in this race. This is a race you want to be part of. Don't miss this race, church. There's nothing that stacks up next to God. Paul goes on to write about what it means to step into this race. What does it mean to be part of it? He says that athletes are disciplined. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Athletes are disciplined. He says we do it, this big race that we're all part of, we do it for an eternal prize. Oh, church, eternity is at stake. There is something to lose here. It's eternity. Don't miss this. We run with purpose in every step, Paul says. I looked up that Greek word for purpose because I was curious. Purpose is kind of like a wishy-washy word. It's like, well, what do you mean purpose? I run with purpose. What's that mean? We all have purpose. What's purpose? This Greek word is only used three other times in the whole New Testament. Paul uses it later in 1 Corinthians, and then Luke uses it once. And in the other two places, it's not translated purpose. It's translated not hiding. I run not hiding with every step. The other place it's translated is certainty. I run with certainty in every step I take because I know that Jesus has anchored my race. I know that I'm going to walk into victory no matter what. I run with certainty, Paul says. Purpose in every step. I'm not hiding this. All athletes are disciplined, he writes. So what does it mean for us to be disciplined in our race? Again, hear me clearly. You're not earning this victory. We can be disciplined and not earn this. It's already ours. So athletes are disciplined because they want to earn something. We need to be disciplined to win that victory as athletes. But in this race that we run together, you've already won. So why is discipline important? Why is Paul writing about it? Well, because when we're disciplined in this race, we grow deeper and wider. Our foundation becomes more firm and more firm. When winds beat against our, our house, it will not collapse with a mighty crash because it's built on solid rock. And the more that we are disciplined in this race, the more that we have to give to our brothers and sisters who need us when their race hurdles are too high, when they don't know how to get up, so we discipline ourselves because nothing else will do. We get to know Jesus through prayer. We talk to him. We hang out with him because we want to know him. We want, we want to run this race well, not to earn our victory, to claim our victory, to really own it, to run with certainty. So we talk to Jesus. We read our Bibles. Do you think we're reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year so that we can just give you homework? No, no one likes homework. We're doing this together as a church body because we know that we get to know Jesus in here, that our foundation gets firmer and more deep and more wide the more that we get to know him. We get to know love and truth, truth with a capital T. It comes out of knowing him. And we get that when we read this. We give and we serve. Those are good disciplines. We give of our time. We give of our resources because they're not really ours anyway. God has given them to us. 
And I promise that God's going to do far more with my time and my resources than I could ever do with my time or my resources. So we give and we serve because we want to be part of this race. We worship together in community. We have to do it together, church. Our individual races can get really hard. There will be seasons where we don't know how to keep running and we do it together in community. You bring your race here so that we do it together. And we love, we love really, really, really well because the church will be known by its love. Paul is about to get in 1 Corinthians 13, he's about to pinnacle with his love chapter. It's the hallmark verses on love. I've, re- I've officiated like five or six, maybe seven weddings this summer, a lot of weddings. And all of them have used a verse out of 1 Corinthians 13 because that's the power of love that Paul writes about. Love is a discipline. It's not always the easiest thing to practice. We do it because we want to be part of the race. We don't want anybody to miss it. As I was doing research about this athlete metaphor in 1 Corinthians 9, I turned to one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright. And he says something pretty incredible about what it means to be disciplined in our faith. Here's what N.T. Wright has to say. Woe to those who trim the message so that they don't have to trim themselves. Woe to those who trim the message so that they don't have to trim themselves. Let's just sit with that for a minute. It's pretty easy to water down what Paul is saying. Paul says, I become like a Jewish person to the Jewish people. I become like a Gentile to the Gentiles. I become weak to those who are weak. You might say that Paul is conforming to the world. Nope. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying he becomes a servant to everyone. But it's easy to trim this message so that we don't have to trim ourselves. The discipline's hard. Trimming ourselves is harder. And that's the call, church. We trim ourselves so that the glory of God, so that the gospel can shine its light into the world. We don't muddy the water because it's easier. We let this shine for all that it is. Paul talks about this, trimming himself in Acts. Acts is written by Luke, uh, but... Luke is narrating Paul's missionary journeys, and so Paul says, as recorded by Luke and Acts, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I consider my life worth nothing to me, Paul writes. It's not that he doesn't think his life has value. He knows his life has value, but he knows that that value is the value that God has given his life. That value is found in who God says he is. So my life is nothing if I don't give it to God's, is what Paul is saying. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Finish the race and complete the task, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It's how Paul is trimming himself. My whole life is for this big race because it matters because eternity is at stake. And because it's a race Paul wasn't going to lose, Paul knew the victory in Jesus. Why not spread the news? Why not share it with everyone? The author of Hebrews also talks about this race. He writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us throw off the stuff that keeps us down and the sin that entangles us. Do this race together, church. You're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who will carry you when you cannot carry yourself. And so we run, we run with endurance the race God has set before us. We run with certainty in every single step because the victory is ours. Jesus has done it for you. And we again stop and we say, but how? How do I run with endurance when I just can't run anymore? Uh, I competitively ran one time in my life. It was in middle school and I was on the cross country team. And even then, I didn't really run competitively. I really did not like cross country. I thought that fall cross country would get me in shape for winter basketball season. Turns out long distance running and sprinting up and down a basketball court are two very different things. So I did not like cross country. There's one race in particular uh, where I stepped in a hole on the cross country course. If you've ever seen a cross country course, perhaps you know that they mark holes with like neon spray paint so that that doesn't happen. I didn't see it, I totally stepped in it. So after this race, I tell my parents, I'm like really hurt, like my foot really hurts. And they totally thought I was wimpy. They just dismissed it and they were like, well, do whatever you gotta do, sit out of practice. They thought I was wimpy, like I was being wishy-washy about it. So they told me to sit out of practice for a little bit. So whatever, I sat out of practice. Time goes on, I never run cross country again, blah. A few years later, I needed foot surgery. I had really bad bunions. So I went to the podiatrist, they take x-rays, yep, you need foot surgery. And by the way, when did you break your foot? Uh-huh, I have really great parents. I always have to throw that in there. They didn't mean to do this. But I was like, I never broke my foot. And my mom's face just like drops. And she's like, I think you did break your foot. And I was like, I did break my foot. No one believed me. Turns out I'm tough as nails. They thought I was, yeah. I walked around with a broken foot for a while. What do we do, church, when we break a foot in this race? What do we do when we break both feet what do we do when we're laying on the side of the race and we can't get ourselves back up? How then am I supposed to run with endurance? The author of Hebrews tells us in the next verse. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You don't have to run full force ahead all the time in this race. Part of its surrender, we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion. There's that athlete word, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. If you're wondering, how do I keep my eyes on Jesus? And the people that I've sat across from with, it is one of the greatest honors to sit across from people who struggle. It's not fun. But man, is that a sacred space. And in those moments, people say to me, I'm trying. I don't know what to do next. I feel like a fraud in my faith. And we talk about keeping our eyes on Jesus. And they say, I don't, I don't see Jesus. Where is God in this? I don't even know what to pray. Sometimes we want a big neon sign that points us to God. Like, he's right here. Just like grab hold and, and hook on. And often we don't get that. I'm about to tell you that this is about to happen in a couple days, where you're going to see a couple weeks. You're going to see Jesus show up. It's called Vacation Bible School. And I am not naive to think 
that God only shows up in this place during VBS. He is around us all the time in everything that we do. And there are seasons where we just don't see it. If you need to see it, if you need to see, put your eyes on Jesus, please come to Vacation Bible School. There are over 6,000 kids registered for Vacation Bible School across all of Hope and its campuses. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, we can give God praise. Do you know, church, do you know the power of hearing thousands of kids sing that Jesus loves them? I get goosebumps when I talk about it because there's nothing like it. It is like looking at God when you see thousands of kids sing and dance and know that God loves them. If you need to see Jesus, don't miss this. Come to Vacation Bible School. Participate in it. And if you can't make it to VBS, come to Taste of Hope. So many of our campuses are doing some kind of Taste of Hope party. Invite everyone to the Jesus party. You're not going to want to miss it. God is around us all the time. Don't miss this race, church. Yolene Bumquo, she needed to be invited to run the 100-meter hurdles. There was no way she was just going to volunteer herself. She said, when my coach asked me, I was like, sure, you only live once, I'll try it. Sometimes we need to be invited. We need to be asked. This is me asking you because I don't want you to miss it. Because I don't want you to miss it. Eternity is at stake. Don't miss this race. It's not just Vacation Bible School. It's all the things that we do together that give glory to God. Don't miss that race, church. And I'm inviting you to the fun. Certainly come to VBS. If you don't know where you fit, ask one of us. We'll help you find a place where you fit. Come to Taste of Hope. This is me asking. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We started with Secretariat, so I want to end with Secretariat. Again, isn't it amazing to watch someone who's excellent at what they do perform in that? This racehorse could perform. I want you to watch as Secretariat wins the Triple Crown. Just take in the victory and feel that power for a minute or two. Take a look. I realized something. I've already won. I made it here. I didn't quit. I've run my race. Now you run yours. record crowd is expected today as Secretariat makes his bid for horse racing immortality. It's Secretariat in jail. Oh man, this is a catastrophe. No, it's too fast.
He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. incredible is that? My favorite piece of that clip is when Eddie, who was Secretariat's uh, like caretaker, he spent the most hours with Secretariat in that horse's life. Eddie says from the sidelines, oh glory, oh glory church, when we run our race, I am convinced that there are choirs in heaven that rejoice. They sing, oh glory, when we step into what it is God has called us to do together, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. Oh, glory. Eternity is at stake. Please step into the race. Please step into the race. It's what we do together. Our vision here at Hope, it's where we aspire to go, what we aspire to do. And our vision statement is to be powered by the Spirit, to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. Oh, glory on the day that heaven is more crowded because we decided to step into the race. Because we decided that Jesus has already won. And we knew that with such confidence that we had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Oh, glory that heaven might be more crowded because of us. Because of what God does in and through us. Don't miss it. How do we achieve our vision? Well, that's the mission statement. How do you get where you want to go? It's what you're on mission for. We reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Let's all read that together. Wherever you are, let's read this together. We reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. If this is a race that you don't want to miss, and I'm telling you, you don't, reach out. Tell everyone you know about it. Drag them here in love. Drag them here and tell them, I don't want you to miss this race because I love you too much and eternity is at stake. Trust Jesus. He's already won the race. Show them the glory. Show them God's glory. We get to do that, church, when we run our race together. At the end of Paul's life, at the end of his ministry, he writes a letter to Timothy. And he says to Timothy in that letter, next slide if you would please, he says, I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness is mine. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, 
Just a couple weeks ago, we had a funeral here for the beloved spouse of one of our amazing staff people. And this was the scripture that was read. I fought the good fight. All of our life races, they have a worldly end. And when we get to that end, don't we want to be able to say, I finished the race. And now a prize awaits me. This crown of righteousness, this eternal prize that will never fade. Don't we want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant? I don't want God to look at me and be like, you kind of missed the race. I'm glad you're here, but you kind of missed it. Bummer. Don't miss this race, church. There's a crown of righteousness waiting for all of us. When we run together, there's glory that is God's and victory that is ours. Run like you can't lose because you can't. Jesus has already won this for you. Surrender when you're too weak to do anything else. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who champions this faith. Of course, I had to conclude with pictures of my one-and-a-half-year-old. I promise it ties in. But here's Paxton. Aw, yeah. He loves being outside. He's one-and-a-half, loves being outside. This is him rocking being outside. And when you say to Paxton, he's learning words. Every word he's going to repeat, so we have to be careful what we say. Every word he repeats. And his favorite word right now is outside. And when you say to this little guy, hey, Paxton, do you want to go outside? He goes, outside? Yeah. Do you want to go outside? Outside! Outside! He did it. They were here. My husband and and son were here for the 8 o'clock service. And as they were leaving, he didn't want to leave. And Tyler was like, well, buddy, we're going outside. And he was like, outside! (laughs) It's the best thing to him, being outside. My favorite part is watching him put his hands up. It's like victory is his. I'm going outside. Church, this is a pose of victory. It's also a pose of surrender. Isn't that paradoxical? That when we stand in victory, we also stand in surrender. And we're going to do this together. And when we do it, we're just going to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. So why don't you go ahead and stand, if you're able. Wherever you are, if you are worshiping with us at home, I expect you to get off the couch. Yeah, I've worshiped in my living room too. I know how easy it is to sit there. And we're going to put our arms up. We're going to put them up in victory and in surrender. And we're going to say together, thank you, Lord. Let's say it together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have won this victory for us. Thank you, Lord, that I don't earn that crown that you've already won it for me. Thank you, Lord, that in my weakness you are strong. And thank you, Lord, that I don't run this race alone. Thank you, Lord, that I'm surrounded by people who run this race with me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not going to miss it, that I'm here for it, that I'm stepping into the race. Thank you, Lord.